Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. If you're a young actor out there, I would say make sure you're getting into this industry for the right reasons. Why Why do you really want to do this? I think there's a very big difference, in, and your peers will notice this about you very quickly. If you're getting in this because you think you're a star, or if you're getting in this because you have this creative drive that is pushing you to want to explore, you know, being a different individual that you're, you are not personally, you want to go and you want to do some theater. But... Um, Everyone comes with a certain confidence, and that's great. But to to study your craft is really important. I think for a lot of young actors, they don't understand that. And there's nothing that we can sense more is what we uh, that we're like that kid has got just a natural talent. But that natural talent didn't come from him just dreaming about being a star. That natural talent came from him getting up and losing his nerves on the stage, you know, in a class or anywhere. And I would always just advise uh, those young kids out there who or or an adult for that matter do everything you can to give yourself the heads up so that we don't feel that when you're in the audition that we're just like that's just a natural talent right there hey everybody welcome back to another episode of industry standard with me Barry Katz, part two of my sit-down with Stefan Brogren from Degrassi. I know you're going to like this second part just as much as the first. Thank you all so much for showing up. I appreciate it. It really means a lot. Those of you who've been here before, thank you, thank you, thank you. Those new people, welcome. Glad to have you here. Keep coming back. Keep subscribing. Keep passing it on to friends. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm never going to stop saying it. And as I look at my guest, Stefan Brogren, I always think of something I want to say that ties everything in. And basically here with Stefan, you're looking at a guy who has stayed with a show throughout many different regimes, many different incarnations, played two different characters, and also directed over 60 episodes, won numerous awards, nominated for much more. And this is somebody who you look at and you say, well, there were a lot of people who worked on this show, but yet he was the only one who worked more episodes than anybody else, not just in front of the camera but behind the camera. And that led to other great producing jobs, including Holly Hobby on Hulu, where he's director and a co-executive producer, including working with Drake on his last video. It's pretty clear that whatever job you're in, figure out how to be great at one thing and do an extraordinary job in that field and then move into the next field and then be extraordinary there and kick ass and then move into the next thing. And after you've exhausted every opportunity in that particular job or whatever it is, then you move on to other things and people will believe in you, they'll rally around you, and they'll know you're the go-to person for that new venture and they'll never have any doubts. 
And I can guarantee you, if you figure out how to do all those things, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Stefan Brogren has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. So you're doing the school. Yeah. In every school, you try out for the plays. Some people make them. Some people don't. First play. I didn't get it. And uh, I was in the seventh grade. And uh, it was Spring Awakening. And uh, it was kind of a big deal because the school was good enough that they would put on plays. And people would actually come from downtown Toronto to come see them. And I just got to the school. I was pretty much the, you know, the low kid as far as like getting the big roles. And, and uh, I did not get the role that I auditioned for. And I, I remember being pretty broken about it, like as a, you know, grade seven and just going home and going, well, I'm no good. That's it. I give up. And they, you know, the next play that happened, I, I was this whole Persephone and Hades in hell player. And uh, I ended up playing Zeus. And so you got the second. I got the second one. But you're auditioning for the second one psychologically knowing that you didn't get the first one. It might have been my first real rejection as as an actor, let's just say. And, and so how do you get mentally prepared to do the next one at such a young age after you got your legs broke? Well, let's just say this. At the same time, I got my first agent. Even though you didn't get the gig. I, going to a school for the arts helps a lot. It was also that. So I my first gig... And basically, I'm a glorified extra in it, but I am I'm in it for it was uh, Ray Bradbury Theater um, for HBO. And it was an episode called The Playground. And I was like, I think I was 13, maybe 12. And uh, it was starring William Shatner. So that gave me enough confidence to go, well, I'm doing something right, I think. And I also that's one of the things that gets back to the school. They're like, oh, that's so exciting. Was he nice to you then? He was so nice. Is he, he was, nice to you now? No, he's terrible. <laughs> he's an asshole. <laughs> My mom used to bring him the newspaper every day. And she's like, so I did a Comic-Con a little while ago. I've, done, I've been doing several Comic-Cons here and there. And... Uh, I saw that Chatter was going to be there. And my mom was like, see if he remembers that I used to bring him the paper. And I'd be like, that's, I, I have a feeling, you know, and it's not like a big secret that Shatner's a bit of a curmudgeon, right? He's, uh, he's not exactly known for being the, especially at those, you know, events for being the friendliest man in the world. But I remember being, you know, this was last summer and Pat's like, Joey Jeremiah, Pat Mastriani, who loves these events. And I am not the biggest fan of them. I love meeting the people, but there is, you do have that sort of, that torn feeling about, you know, people paying for autographs. Back to Shatner. Um, so he's like, just go tell him that like, your first job was with him. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Okay, fine. I went up to him. I was like, we were in the green room and I was like, Mr. Shatner, just, just two seconds. I just wanted to say my first job was with you, with you and on uh, uh, Ray Bradbury Theater at the Playground, HBO. And he just looked me in the eye and he just stared at me for a second and they just turned away, around and walked away. <laughs> and I was like, "You, whoa!" And Pat starts laughing his ass off. He's like, "I knew it! I knew he was gonna fuck you!" I'm like, "I got shattered! I got super shattered!" <laughs> like that wasn't even like a pretend shattered moment. That was truly he just—he's just like, "I'm just too old to deal with you." He just doesn't give a shit anymore. Like he's just like he's dealing. Like he does not. Like, there are big celebrities at these things. Sometimes they know to stay away from Shatner because he's just not. You know, he's just got his own thing going on. So if you walked up to him and said, hey, uh, Mr. Shatner, I just want you to know that you know, I had my first job with you at Ray Bradbury Theater, and I just wanted you to know that everybody says you're a fucking <laughs> asshole, but I tell them no. You're a nice guy. What would he have done? He probably would have just said that's the... No, and then just walked away. <laughs> just walked away. And it's like, I really, you know, I really think it depends on the person, because, you know, Michelle and I have done Michelle comes to these the uh these comic cons every once in a while with me and it's really funny when I'm signing autographs and people will be like, Are you Michelle Shaughnessy? Like she does have a little you know, she's a following. We were so this is the exact opposite of the Shatner story was that we were in Vancouver and we we're sitting beside Henry Winkler. So I, at this point I'm also very shy from talking to anybody else after the Shatner experience. But we sit beside Henry Winkler 
And next thing you know, Michelle and Henry Winkler's wife are hitting it off. That man is such a lovely person. And it's, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you hear that he's a great guy. But that was, that was the, if I had a, a terrible experience with one of my childhood heroes with, with Captain Kirk, the Fonz was exactly what I would hope he would have been in real life. I guess he must have been filming Barry when we met him, but he didn't mention it by any means that he was on a new show. It's like watching someone go full circle. You know, that's the first Emmy he's been nominated for. It's kind of crazy. Unlike you, who've been nominated for four. Been nominated as producer for four Emmys, which is fantastic. And uh, once again, you saw, you know, we were having this conversation about like pitching in like in Canada versus the states, and where why you pitch and where you pitch. It's like you go to the Emmys, you just feel like such a little kid when you're compared to everyone else, and you're just like, why are we here? And and do, do people even know who we are? But you know, they. It's always just like. And the winner is iCarly, you know, and you're like, okay, okay, we can't win. Or you're up against Alan Alda in a, a special about, you know, uh, saving kids' lives in, on HBO. And we're like, was that even a bad kid? That's not a kid show. That's for adults. Keep going on your journey. How do you get the agent? I think that you go in when you're a 12-year-old kid, and if you're somewhat cute and you can deliver a line they're like we'll take you you know that's that's sort of i feel like the way it is and then if you can get a role that's that's the magic thing but they'll t- you know especially back then well you probably even today you know those agencies they'll take like they'll, they'll they're, they're playing the odds right so they'll take 600 kids hoping that three of them actually get some work you get signed by the agent you're 10 actually no around the 10 or 11 or something how long before you booked degrassi was my next job <laughs> so i did that I did that, uh, the Shatner thing when I was in the seventh grade, and then I got Degrassi in the eighth grade. There wasn't a lot of auditioning happening. And let me just say this. They were actually, they came to the school looking for kids. And I think they took about 15 of us to be part of this Degrassi workshop for this show that no one knew. And it's probably completely illegal how they did it. You know, they're just like, you, like they would, they, we would just sort of do group auditions and and uh, so by the time I was going to high school, I just shot my first season of Degrassi. So they come to the school, they hoard 15 of you guys in a van over the border. <laughs> Pretty much. And then what do they do? There's no original pilot at this point. There are, they've, made, they've written scenes. Why don't you share with our audience who they is? Linda Schuyler is the creator of Degrassi. Yes. She used to be a teacher. How old was she then? She was probably in her 30s. She had written some... Uh, Degra- kids of Degrassi episodes there's six of them she she made them as a teacher she realized I have nothing to show these kids that actually reflects their lives like student films in her school to show kids exactly the CBC bought them the CBC says why don't you age this up and do maybe a junior high version of it and we'll actually stay inside of school it's versus like kids of Degrassi was like the kids wandering on the streets you know it was all these kids that didn't have the best homes or like you know didn't know what to talk about as far as like uh, you know they have body images uh, problems or their 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 fa- their parents are, are are never there for them she does the junior high version of that and so they basically they're doing these workshops with like uh 30 kids at a time and and there's like three sessions a day and then you would get a letter at the end of the week or in an envelope saying asking if you would return for the next week and i think that went on for three weeks and then i was pretty sure by that last week i was not getting the role of joy jeremiah and i you know everyone gets an envelope one envelope says they ask you not to read it there so that for you know it was a very strange process and uh and all these auditions were all this workshopping was happening in someone's living room also it was at a house downtown toronto and uh i left and i was pissed and i didn't get the role and i remember kit hood who was the director came out and he he followed me out he's like stefan by any chance um do you play an instrument and i'm like what does it matter (laughs) i didn't get the role pat master i play joey jeremiah i'm not playing yik it's not gonna happen they're like well um, do you play an instrument? I'm like, well, I, I play a little violin cause I have to in school. And he said, well, okay, we'll figure something out. We'll see you on Monday. And I was like, what? What? And for a moment there, I thought I was Joey Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> Next day I go in, they're like, we want to write a role for you. Do you want to be called Snaker Slim? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, we're shooting that summer. And as far as I'm concerned, I have the coolest summer job I could ever have. It's going to last one season and that's it. I really thought we had one season. I think we all did. And uh, the show came out. They put us up right after the Fresh Prince on CBC. And it became this weird, gigantic success. 
you know, this is also at a time when there were like three channels in Canada also. So you, you didn't have a lot of choices, but I thank the Fresh Prince for his being our lead in. What were you getting paid an episode at 12 or 13? Like a second, like if you were the secondary character in the episode, I think you made about 600 bucks per episode. What about if you were the person who's the main guy in every episode? Maybe 2000. And then the next year was different and we would have raises. Was it the kind of thing you're on the set with kids and you're like, wow, I just got my check for $600. Oh, mine's 2000 Exactly. You knew by the color of your contract also, because it was, it was, you signed a different contract for every episode. That's how they were. It was, I, I don't know how they got away with it, but it's like it, you, you ended up, if you were the lead of that episode, you got the principal fee. If you were only a secondary, you were, you got the yellow contract, which meant you were only going to pay $600. And uh, so you always wanted the blue contract at the at the uh, before the next episode so you sign with an agent when you're 12 who has hundreds of people is just trying to catch one of the kernels have them pop and in one year you go from at the bottom of his list right. to at the top of his list i dropped that agent and uh it was also it was a non-union he was non-union back then theory i couldn't even audition for anything else while i was doing degrassi but you dropped the agent but don't you have to pay the agent for the agent never got me the audition i got the audition through the school so you never had to pay a commission to an agent or manager your entire degrassi career well in the new degrassi yeah they take a shitload but uh this is the original degrassi junior high non-union show I wasn't in the union. I wasn't in ACTRA or anything like that for five years while I was doing that show. So when did you finally hire a manager or an agent? The year after I finished Degrassi Junior High. I think I was uh, 19. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Los Angeles after I graduated from school because I had been playing the same role for five years and I felt like I should probably try something else. So you met with agents. Who did you end up hiring? Uh, my same agent that I have to this day is uh, Linda Butler, Butler Reston Bell in Toronto. I have a, a different agent for directing and, and for writing and everything you have else. Manager too? I don't have a manager. I don't have a manager. Not You know, I'm uh, right now I'm uh, doing fairly well without one but there is a part of me that goes that i think the next step is you know i'm listen, i'm not a young man at the same time but you're like, not i'm i'm 46 so i guess that's semi young but I mean, you it's have middle-aged. somebody who's keeping you young it, it's so true michelle keeps me young i think i make her old is what's going on unfortunately tell me the first episode you were on degrassi where you were like holy shit i don't even feel comfortable with this you know where well it, i don't think it really happened until the grassiness generation it wasn't that i was uncomfortable i thought maybe we were going to freak a lot of people out and it was our first transgender character and that was and we had, was uh this character adam uh at this point we had a lot of gay characters in the school adam wasn't a transgender actor no it was uh, a young very talented actress named Jordan who named Jordy who was uh playing a young girl transitioning into a boy and the gay characters in the show were they gay actors or were they straight actors? 90% were gay Adamo didn't know he was gay when he was playing a gay kid he did not he was not out he's playing uh Marco on the show when he uh uh they I think they knew that that he was he just hadn't really come out yet and that was definitely a part of a lot of the uh, the kids on the show. But there was something, I think, a little bit safer about having gay characters on the show versus... I think there was a lot of convincing Linda Schuyler that and this was there was a real section of our audience that was feeling that they weren't being represented on the show. And we're talking about 2000, 2007, maybe? 2006 and I think at that point you basically had Boys Don't Cry was the only movie that was out there or any sort of thing that was representing Hillary Swank Hillary Swank and it was not necessarily representative of everyone's experiences being in the transgender community so I think we we were really nervous to introduce that character because we wanted to do it right and I think we were constantly at battle with ourselves about doing it right and and making sure that we presented it in a way that we weren't going to get uh, you know half the audience going we weren't scared that we were going to offend people. We were, or if anything, we were afraid we were going to offend transgender youth. And they're going, that's not my experience. 
and it sounds like we got it pretty pretty close to being right you know and it was it was a tough role for our actress to play and i think the most dangerous thing is and we got we did get a lot of flack for this actually is that we ended up killing off adam at one point because we wanted to do a story about texting and driving <laughs> and uh in truth I, I our young actress wanted off the show and but we knew we wanted to tell a story about someone getting killed from the the, the thing that now that's surpassed teens and drunk driving is is texting we got to do this story and we we got a lot of flack for killing her off killing him off texting and, and driving is the most dangerous thing yeah it's 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 surpassed drunk driving with teenagers so uh think about it have you seen a teenager if i'm at a stoplight and I pick up my phone and text. My sons take my phone and they just throw it down. Because it's been taught in schools now. It's like it's a real thing, right? They, you know, I, I walk down the street with Michelle and she's texting and I'm holding her arm like a little kid sometimes to make sure she doesn't crash into anybody. It's like, it's the new responsibility that we have in our, our, our social lives now to, to uh, uh, try to keep our eyes on the road anyways we got a lot of flack for that that was the most nerve-wracking thing as far as being a producer on the show where i was really i think we were all very nervous about that hey everybody let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success it's a project i've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition whether you want to do stand-up sketch improv acting writing producing directing radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office and Everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. Hey, everybody. We have a sponsor that I'm so excited about. For Hymns. It's a one-stop shop for men regarding hair and sexuality and much, much more. It's common knowledge that we guys don't take care of ourselves as well as the women do. For instance, 66% of men lose their hair by age 35 but don't notice it until it's too late. But now there's a product that could prevent balding altogether. Forhims.com offers a wide range of products for hair loss, skin care, and other wellness supplements for men. Let's face it, a man's biggest fear is the receding hairline and the bald spot on the top of your head. Forhims.com will connect you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to prevent hair loss fast. And get this, the products you order can be delivered right to your door. So order now and get a special deal offered only to my listeners and go to forhims.com slash Barry. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Barry and you'll 
get a trial month of hymns for just five bucks. Just visit fourhymns.com slash Barry and get the deal of a lifetime. You can visit the website for full details, take action today to prevent hair loss and other stressful men's problems tomorrow. I guarantee you won't regret it. When do you realize I'm going to go behind the camera? I think that, you know, so like I always wanted to, I was always enjoying sort of being on the creative side of thing and writing and, and then you sort of find yourself maybe in your own mind pigeonholed into going like I'm just an actor. And, uh, I, you know, I met my buddy Samir Raham working on a film in Los Angeles and uh, uh, he, we were doing this Nev Campbell movie and I knew Nev from Toronto and it was this little independent film. We had a terrible experience on the film, not because of Nev, Nev's awesome, but uh, um, we ended up writing, going back, he was the production manager on it who's also from toronto and we went back and we made uh a film for 80 eighty thousand dollars and we got picked up by the movie network and ifc and and it got shown and it's a terrible movie it's really bad but we actually it gave us a lot of clout and i think a lot of confidence and linda and stephen stone who's also the uh the executive producer of next generation came to me at one point and said, we saw the movie. We think it's really gorilla the same way we used to do Degrassi. We really were impressed with what you guys did. Um, I'm doing these things. And then Steven was like, I want to do these Degrassi things. We're going to call webisodes because the internet has now this content on it. Would you be interested in producing and writing and directing these webisodes? And you got to keep in mind at the time, like what was a webisode? It was on a Nokia phone. It was like a screen like that size. And we're like, how do you shoot that? What do you, we have to do content where they're watching. It was prior to the iPhones, right? So I was just basically shooting heads like this of our actors. And I was getting to write all these things. And as the technology is expanding, I'm getting a bigger budget every year and I'm allowed to do a little bit more with what I have. And you know, then they're like, oh, the iPhone's coming out and oh, people can watch it on full screen on their, on their computer. And I was trying to, they, I was allowed, they didn't, there were no rules, but they didn't give me any rules about what I was supposed to shoot. So I would do things where I would make one character, another character. I would set up other characters. It was like a fantasy world. I was getting to a point where I was like, I want to do this four part Degrassi, the dead zombie thing. We're going to kill all the kids and, and, uh, for the Halloween webisodes and the network liked it so much. They said, can we put this together as a half hour of television? And that was my first half hour of television was something that like I got to write and direct and produce that was uh, not meant for TV. It, it was they literally had to figure out how to get me in the DGC because he's like, well, he's done all this content that you don't recognize because it's webisodes. And uh, so that basically got my that was my first half hour of television. I got to direct a couple episodes of Degrassi after that. And there was this. Uh, but how I, do you know that you can do it? I Well, I don't know. I feel like I. <laughs> I definitely observed our directors a lot. I loved hanging out on set always, you know, so uh, like from, from being a young kid, you want to be what that felt where like the action was at in a lot of ways. It wasn't in your dressing room, you know, it wasn't like you want, I wanted to be on set and you're also watching. I, I just be, I, I have, I don't have a lot of actor friends. I have a lot of behind the scenes friends, even back then. And I was just more, I was always just more curious about what is, how do you, how do you make content and what's a story that I care about and how do you make yourself care about something that maybe it's this, I, I kind of maybe came from like the actor's point of view. It's like, I don't necessarily have to care about the storyline, but I got to perform it. So, you know, it's like, how do you make a storyline in a script even better? And you got to care, right? I mean, I've been working on the show, Holly Hobby. It's about three 13 year old girls trying to save their town. I've got to find a way to relate to that and make it that I go, what's the 13 year old girl in me saying about this show and why, how are we going to make this not only fun, but not insulting to an audience that like a 46 year old man is directing. Right. Um, so like there's definitely a part of me that loves young, like directing younger actors because they are, I, I want them to have the best experience they've had the way I feel I have. I've had like, I, I really have been so lucky in my career that I've, you know, been able to work on shows that I respect even. And there's something to be said about watching a young actor do stuff that no adult actor can do. Uh, that that is so honest and true and funny and messed up and psychotic and they're they're really on, you know, they're they're doing their best work. So it's like there's 
I'm, I'm, I love working with adults, but I really, but young, young actors are so much more intuitive in a lot of ways and, 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 and require less work. If you can believe it, you can tell a kid bigger, you know, smaller. It's like, and it's not a lot of like, can you, what would, how would you feel if your puppy died? You don't have to do that with kids. They get it. They want, and they want to also succeed and they want to be good. You know, they want to, they want, and they want to hear that they're good. And, uh, I've, I've, it's, I've had way harder experiences with adult established actors than I have with, with, uh, you know, teens doing their thing. What's the biggest mistake you've ever made as a director? Working on a show like Degrassi, budgets are small. And, uh, you know, asking for something like a crane and not being able to make your day because of it, that's probably the worst thing. I think I've, I've pissed off a director of photography or two, you know. I was shooting a show called The L.A. Complex that uh, I remember I was so behind in the day. I was just like, just put a camera over there. And my my director of photography at the time was just like, you're ruining my art by doing that so there's a lot of you know there's egos on set and i just i want everyone to be happy with the product they're making but i'm like i have to shoot it this way i have to do it this way he's turning off the monitors i mean i'm turning the monitors back on it's like no no no, we're just shooting it this way he's like i refuse to do this and he's walking off set and i'm like i don't care i'm gonna shoot this anyways and that's one of those things where you're like i gotta stand up for myself and i gotta like get i gotta do what i gotta do but you don't want people to feel bad about the product they're making also so i think there's been times where i'm like not proud of like the final result and those are the ones where you're like, I don't feel that way a lot, but every once in a while, there's something where I'm like that, that I missed the mark on that one, you know? So that, that happens. But 90% of the time, I, I would say that you, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a good crew behind you, that's going to, and you know, fantastic actors, you're going to make it, you're going to make something. Those, it's always those things that you, you notice that no one else notices also. One, two, Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. All right. And I want you to tell me what comes to mind. It might be a story, a sentence. Okay. It might be anything. Drake. Uh, so Aubrey, Aubrey was great as a teenage actor. I, and like I said, you watched him grow. He grew so fast on that show. I don't know if I knew how what how how hard he was working at the time on the music because we would have read throughs or in between takes he'd be sleeping and i'm like what the fuck is he doing and he's like he's been in a recording studio all night as much as i could tell how talented he was you're, you're back of your mind you're not going this guy one day will become not just one of the biggest guys in hip-hop but one of the biggest guys in entertainment in the world you just can't you can't picture him. i'm like well i hope he has his shit together you know i hope he can handle being an actor and doing this at the same time I was in charge of uh, looking after Aubrey in Los Angeles for the Teen Choice Awards. And he was 18 years old. And uh, first of all, they should not have put me in charge of looking after Drake. But I was looking after 18-year-old Drake. And uh, for the, uh, right off the bat, we got to the airport. And they're like, uh, so Aubrey Graham, here's your ticket. He gets on the flight. They're like, sir, this your name doesn't match your ticket. I'm like... No, what what do you it says it says Stepan Bogdan. And that's how they spelled my name on the thing. I'll never forget it because everyone on set calls me Stepan Bogdan now. And I, I at one point Aubrey's just like this. See ya. And he's getting on. I was like, you have to wait for me. I'm the responsible one. He's like, we finally he he waits for me. He gets to uh we get to Los Angeles. And I could already tell that he was starting to have like expensive tastes. You know, he's like the first place he wanted to go to was uh uh Louis Vuitton. And, uh, and then he's like, I want you, can we, um, can we go for a drink? I'm like, I can't get you in anywhere. You're, you're 18, 19. Like he's like, there's gotta be a place we can go get a drink or something like that. He's talking to me like an adult, you know, he's like, I, so I, there's, what's the, what's the place that's got the, 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 uh, the bull, uh, on sunset saddle ranch. It was right around our hotel. And I was like, maybe we'll try to get us to the saddle ranch. Maybe that'll be, seems like there's a lot, it seems like a lot of kids are going there and, uh, walk up to the door and I'm like, uh, Hey, and I was like, he, you can come in. He, he can't come in. He's like, I'm 25. What's the problem? You know, like he's and Aubrey's pretty good that way. Like he's, he's quite convincing. Took about three bars and then, uh, finally got him into a little place on sunset and he was so responsible. He wasn't like, he didn't get like shit faced or anything. It was, it was, he was such a, like a, you know, a good, he was a good drinker. Let's just say that. The next day we go to the Teen Choice Awards. A couple of the other kids have shown up. 
we win the award for best summer show, whatever those teams, you know, whatever their award is. And I call the, I call the, the, the production and I'm just like, so we won. Can I take the kids to Chateau Marmont for dinner and, uh, and celebrate with them? And they're like, yes, you can. But the only, the only stipulation was, but Aubrey cannot order champagne. I'm like, done. If you order champagne, you're paying for it. I'm like, oh, done. I, we get there. I don't know how, like, he just, he's, he's good that way. At our table are two bottles of Cristal waiting. <laughs> he's already ordered two bottles of Cristal. He's like, you're going to tell me that we're not going to have champagne tonight? You know we're having champagne tonight. Anyways, uh, yeah, I'm, I just did Drake's video also, though which was kind of nuts. And it was one of those things where I'm, I was, I was directing, I'm, I'm directing Holly hobby for Hulu. <laughs> and it's like, it's all this is like, you know, these teen girls trying to save the world. And I get a call from our publicist who's actually working at the other side of the studio. He's like, you need to come here in between takes. I need to talk to you about something. And I go up to him. He's like, I want you to read this. And it's the treatment for the video. And it's like, Drake goes back to Degrassi for his 10 year reunion. Mr. Simpson's there with Houston strippers smoking weed. And I was like, I so want to do that. I so want to do that. And then I had to go back to this, the, the team show. And I'm like, I'm really conflicted right now. I want to tell everyone I'm going to be in this Drake video. But I just like, first of all, you don't know if it's going to happen or if it's, what's going to happen. So I'm shooting the show two days before they're supposed to be shooting. I still haven't heard anything. I'm like, am I in this thing? And then it's one of those things where you're like, not that I care. <laughs> I don't care. But it would be really nice if Drake could get back to me and tell me if I'm going to be in this, uh, this, uh, this video. And then I got the email from, from Drake and his people. He's like, Stefan, getting all the cast back. Would you be a part of this and have some fun? Which was, was great. And I got to uh, live my hip-hop dream, which was pretty hysterical. I really felt like I was in a hip-hop video. Was Michelle upset that there were strippers all over you? Michelle was going to come to set. And then Michelle also knew that it was going to be a big family reunion, which it did turn out to be. So I'd, already, I'd shot one day. And I was like, okay, so you want to come on the second day? And she also had some girlfriends over. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm not going to go. And I was like, are you serious? Are you sure? Because, I, you know, it's not a problem if you want to come. And it's like, let's get some selfies with Drake, you know? And she's like, no, you know what? I want you to have, it was like really one of the sweetest things she could have done because it made my evening so much. We were shooting from five in the, at, you know, in the afternoon until five in the morning. And it made my experience a lot easier not to be worried about Michelle. Not that I have to worry about Michelle, but I wanted to have a good time. And she's like, I'm going to end up, you know, hanging out and I'll be tired. And I, you know what? I, I think I'll, I'll wait. I think she's just waiting for the time that she'll actually just knows Drake and she can just hang out with him. So, so she was really cool that way. So but it was, uh, it, it was really uh, super. He made it sure that we had a super cool experience. You marijuana and your parents. <laughs> the fuck did you tell him michelle <laughs> okay so okay all right Barry. uh uh i've spoke to joy in my life <laughs> before you came here before he came here and um we live around a lot of uh pot shops downtown and uh and michelle and i might partake in a joint every once in a while and uh my mom had knee surgery and it, it went, the knee surgery went fine, but they put her on painkillers that were really messing her up. And she's like, I don't want to do them anymore. You know, and I was kind of really proud of her at the same time. Cause that's, I think how a lot of people get fucked up is just those awful, awful, uh, you know, opiates. And so she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it was, I think it was really tough for her. She wasn't sleeping. So at one point my dad's like, I don't know if you can find it for us. I think we need to get your mom on marijuana. That's how he put it. Let's get your mother on marijuana. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, okay. She's like, she's just, she's not sleeping. It's, oh, and I was like, all right. So I, I talked to Michelle. I'm like, um, how do so they want us to get like a vape? She's like, I'll take care of it. I know what to get. We'll get her something super weak. It'll be like really easy to handle and she'll, it'll be fine. And, and, uh, we went back to my parents' place the next weekend and we're like, so we got you this pen. And she's like, oh, okay. All right. And we're watching her try to take a hit off a of, off of vape. And she's just not working. She's just like. <laughs> and Michelle's like, here, this is how you do it. Sheila. <laughs> and she just takes it out of his hand and takes the biggest hoot. And she's like, see, that's how you do it. Okay. And so my mom's like learning. 
Two weeks later, my mom's doing so much better. <laughs> she's not necessarily sleeping better, but she's feeling much better. And then it's like a family picnic at the backyard. And my mom's like, comes out with the pen. She's like waving in the air. She's like, Michelle. <laughs> Next thing you know, they're like, they're taking hits. And uh, it was one of those things. The night was almost over. You're like, I got to go. <laughs> this is time to go. Anyways, that was the story about how my mom uh, got chronic. <laughs> Molly Shannon. So I, 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 do you know Bruce McCullough from the kids in the hall? I don't know him personally, but I know Bruce has been kind enough to hire me several times for certain things. And, uh, I did, he did a movie called dog park. Uh, I did the play version of that. The, the he did a theatrical version of it in Toronto. And, and, uh, I was, I, I was a joy to be in. And I went to Los Angeles and took another job. He offered me a little role in, in dog park, which would have been super fun. And the next movie he did after Dog Park, I think, was was Superstar with uh, Molly Shannon and, and uh, Will Ferrell. And he asked me to come into audition for it, and I was like, "Awesome!" And I came into audition. And he's like, I, "I was I was trying out there. I think there's a stuttering role in it, and it did not. Uh, it just wasn't working." He's like, "You know what? I think you'd be better as like one of the bullies in this, like a, a or sort of like one of the the cool kids." Um, I'm like, Will Ferrell's going to be playing like the main. I'm like. Oh, and I'm just I'm a psycho fan of Will Ferrell's and I was like oh uh, that's Will Ferrell's gonna be in this this is amazing he's like one, just wait one sec and he called and he, he's just like can you get Will and then Will comes in and he's like hey I'm Will I'm like hi hi he's like and Bruce is like I was just hanging out with Bruce and Bruce I don't think remembers it this way at all but I was like he's like yeah can you just sort of stand behind him and be like the guy that backs him up I'm like yeah Okay. What? <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, all right. Whatever you want. And it was like, one of these things where Will Ferrell's in front is supposed to be like the really cool guy. And I just, I could not find, I just, I, I blanked so badly. It was like, honestly, I talk about a time where you just, I, I, I can really say I super froze and I didn't know what to do. And I just stood behind him. And I, I think I was looking right down the barrel of the camera shooting us. I was like, <laughs> This is this is it's Will Ferrell. I uh, I did not get the job, and uh, I, uh, I I don't blame them. I left there so upset. I was just like, you meet someone, and that's the way you meet them, and they're like obviously not impressed with me. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Pizza shop. Pizza Shop was that's that's a good one. Pizza Shop I did as a uh, I had a buddy who was a director who was doing commercials and he's like I was sitting and telling him a story that my girlfriend at the time this is about fifteen years ago um, I got stopped by we were buying pizza on our maybe our second date and there was a fight going on between this couple who were all definitely like flying on meth they were freaked out and they were screaming at each other and he was calling her a cunt and he was just screaming and just saying he was going to kill her and slit her throat and uh i tell my buddy the story and he's like we have to make a short of that i'm like what he's like it's a comedy dude that is a comedy because uh, i'm i am sitting with this one girl inside and I'm going, look, just don't go outside. He's going to hurt you. You got to stay inside. She's like, he beats me really bad. He really hurts me a lot. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm on a lot of drugs. Are you from Degrassi? And I was like, (laughs) yes. Joey Jeremiah is my favorite. I love Joey so much. He's going to kill me. I know I'm not going to make it through the night. You know, the episode where you stole the car. And I'm like, uh, 
Right, right, right. So I told him the story, and he's like, so we ended up turning it into a short. And, like, but, you know, six months later, and my girlfriend at the time played my girlfriend. And the, six months later, we, he gives me a call. He's like, so we made it into Sundance. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, for a short? It's like, yeah, it's going to play a bunch of all these movies. There's this Daniel Day-Lewis movie they're going to play before. I'm like, what the hell? So it goes to show, remember those terrible stories and turn them into shorts, and you can go to Sundance. Sybil Shepard. <laughs> Oh, God. So in the Martha Stewart TV movie, I play the FBI agent that takes down Martha Stewart, played by Sybil Shepard. I basically had two days with Sybil Shepard, three scenes or something like that. But I just, I was constantly warned um, that she likes to sing. She might sing to you and just be prepared for that. And I was like, what? That sounds a little nuts. Or like, and I'm like, and also there could be worse things to be warned about. And my first scene was sitting across this table with her, like we're sort of indicting Martha. And she just looks me in the eyes and just like, starts singing this opera piece to me, like, and like right to me. And I was like, I'm so, t- I'm so terrified, flattered, and a little turned on. <laughs> Last one, Kevin Smith. So, Kevin is really actually very responsible for me ever getting to direct anything in my life in a lot of ways. Kevin was like, first of all, Kevin Smith is a huge Degrassi fan. He's like, he, one of the first things he bought after he'd made Clerks was like the entire Degrassi Junior High series on VHS. I like, he really, he, he has deep emotional feelings about the show. Um, at one point, Kevin puts it out there that he'd love to come and direct the show. He wants to be on the show and of next generation and we're like yes in a heartbeat we, this would be amazing uh because of like con can like about you know canadian shows have to have so much of their their directors and and everything else have to be canadian and we were going to bring it back for this two-hour movie called degrassi goes hollywood and uh um they said that bruce couldn't direct because of being american because we're mean that way but Bruce, with, I was brought in for a conference call with the with the uh, with uh, Nickelodeon and CTV, who are our uh, executives at the time. Kevin's on the line, and he's like, "So listen, I'll come and do the show. I'll come be in it, but I'll only do it if Stephen Brogan gets to direct." And I started laughing my ass off. I thought it was hysterical, and I look over at Stephen Stone and Linda Schuyler's, the executive producer of the show. And they're just staring at me like, why are you laughing? I'm like, oh my God, I'm, uh, yeah, I, well, I, I've, I, uh, I, that's exactly what it was like. I didn't know what to say. And, uh, Kevin Smith got me the, my first big gig on Degrassi, which was a two hour special directing. But did you ask him to do that? No, I didn't ask him at all. So how did he know you could do it? He's seen the webisodes. Uh, he saw the webisodes. He's like, Stefan's doing such great work on those things. Is he directing episodes? Like, what well, we're thinking about. I was just on the verge of doing stuff. And, but the first thing that you shouldn't be offered is a two hour movie going from webisodes. But the next thing I got to do was Degrassi Goes Hollywood, where, you know, uh, and uh, working with Kevin. I saw, and Kevin's in the Drake video, and we're sitting just upstairs. You know, we just, I want to talk to him about to make sure like he's doing good because he's had the heart attack and he's doing so much better now and he's lost so much weight. And he's like, and we're talking about, we said, what are you directing right now? I'm like, I'm directing Holly Hobby for, for Hulu. And he's like, he's like, that's the, that's the greeting card, isn't it? He's like, I'm like, yeah, but, but I'm like, but Kevin, it's so good. It's so good. These girls are amazing. It's great for like, this is going to be one of those things that it's going to be a coming of age story for like a 10 year old, a 12 year old girl. They'd be like, I want to, I want to do what Holly does, you know, and a, a mom's going to watch. It's like, and Holly Hobby's like mom porn because the, everything is so beautiful and the world is, and they make, they make cupcakes and the bedrooms are so cute and they they live on this beautiful farm. And he's just like, he's just looking at me and he's like, you know, I'm responsible for this. <laughs> he's like, I got you your first job. Like, Kevin, I mentioned it every chance I get that you're the reason why I have a career. He's like, just want you to remember, you, you're employed because of me. Your proudest moment in show business. I think, well, I don't want it to be, it sounds so like, boring to say that you know it was nice the first time i got not like i won an award for directing but that was one of those things i think which was a crossover that just wasn't i didn't see coming that i'd get any respect in that sense you know where you're just like i don't think that i would um actually have people take me seriously in this even though i'm directing the show that i'm on but with the but to actually 
it was the first year I was directing on Degrassi and I, I won the best director in family and youth television at uh, the Canadian Screen Awards at one point called the Gemini's. And I, I, that was also one of those, I, I do like to talk. There are those moments where I'm a little bit speechless and I'd already just presented an award and it was like a lifetime achievement award to Linda for doing Degrassi. And I was, you know, off the cuff and it was a great, you know, it was a, getting laughs and it was all great. And then I got up on stage and I was like, I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm shocked. And I just, I just walked, I didn't thank anybody. And, uh, but I think that was one of the nicest, warmest moments that I've had from my people in the industry, as far as Canada is concerned, that uh, to recognize me beyond being an actor. And I know that sounds selfish and weird and gross, but but right now I think the proudest I've actually been now is working with Michelle on our project. And I've, I've it's been, I it's always kind of scary when something's a joy, but it's been kind of a joy for us to work on. And whatever happens with this lovely project that we're about to go pitch tomorrow, um, uh, it's been, uh, it's, it's like, I'm really proud of what we've done. Last question. What yes. advice do you have for the young kid, not even a teenager growing up in some town, God knows in the world, have a dollar and a dream thinking maybe I can do this crazy business. And then to get to the point where they're an established actor in a show and doing great work and then becoming a great director. Also, lastly, You've been in a lot of rooms where people come in and audition. What advice do you have for the young actor or actress coming into a room to be able to book a job with a director like you? Well, my, my advice always when a young actor comes in the room, or an actor for that matter, an adult actor, there's no point in forcing yourself into a role that you're not going to fit. But I'm going to remember you even if you're not right for the role, but how great that performance was just based on the fact that you were trying to do the best damn thing you could do. Don't try to be something that you can't be. If, if you're, if you have the ability to be a chameleon as an actor, that's great. But I prefer seeing someone fuck up in an audition, knowing that we can plug that character, that actor into another character later down the, down. making an impression is really important. I think more than as far as like this person's going to be easy to work with. Um, and, uh, there's definitely some underlying talent there. They're not right for this role, but, uh, it's very hard for me to give advice to young actors because at the same time as I've, I know I've been lucky in my career and, uh, uh, the disappointment and, you know, rejection is so huge for, I, I think it can be very wounding to some, you gotta be a strong individual. I think in this, as you know, in this industry to, to pursue it constantly over and over again. And, uh, I, I would say that your best bet when you come into audition is allow yourself to, if you, if you're going to explore something, you can do it in the room. I, I, I don't want an actor to leave their feeling that they have to force themselves into a corner to try to be what they think they're supposed to be. If you're a young actor out there, I would say, make sure you're getting into this industry for the right reasons. Why, why do you really want to do this? I think there's a very big difference in, and your peers will notice this about you very quickly. If you're getting in this because you think you're a star, or if you're getting in this because you have this creative drive that is pushing you to want to explore, you know, being a different individual that you're, you are not personally, you want to go and you want to do some theater. And you want to go and you want to take classes. I think classes are really important. I think they, you can learn. I've, you know, I've taken classes my entire life and, and I respect some of the ideas that have come my way and I use them and that you can throw away what you don't need. But, um, everyone comes with a certain confidence and that's great. But to, to study your craft is really important. I think for a lot of young actors, they don't understand that. And there's nothing that we can sense more is, well, we, uh, that, we're like, that kid has got just a natural talent. But that natural talent didn't come from him just dreaming about being a star. That natural talent came from him getting up and losing his nerves on the stage, you know, in a class or anywhere. And I would always just advise uh, those young kids out there who, or, or an adult for that matter, do everything you can to give yourself the heads up so that we don't feel it when you're in the audition. That we're just like, that's just a natural talent right there. Awesome. This has been amazing. Has it been okay? You were incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so you much. so much. You were so great. My, it was I my really pleasure. Enjoyed this. Good. Michelle, thank you so much. Yay. Amazing. I'm so grateful to the both of you. Thanks, man. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. 
and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. Landing on Berserker 85, July 19, 2013. Heading reads, undeniable five stars. And the comment reads, I'm a big fan and look forward to every time Barry is on Jay Moore's podcast. So Barry having his own podcast is amazing. I enjoy more of the informational and interesting podcast than people trying to do bits for two hours. So this show seems to be made for me. All right. Thanks a lot, Berserker85. You are a winner. And that wraps up part two of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And Good Company, an extraordinary web series on YouTube that host Scott Bowling created where you can watch music interviews with incredible artists talking openly about their journey in the music business. If you like a great in-depth music interview where you can hear about each album in chronological order and what the artist experienced along the way, this is the show for you. Interviews with incredible talents like Michael Sweet from Striper, Clinton Lejeune from Seven Dust, Brian Head Welsh from Corn, Elias from Nonpoint, Mikey from Islander, Sonny from POD, and Rich Ward from Fozzy and Stuck Mojo, just to name a few. Check out Good Company on any social media outlet under Good Company with Bowling or go to www.scottgoodcompany.com. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powders that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U Superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Kate McCucci, Ricky Lindholm, Garfunkel and Oates. I, at least for me, when I started, it took me a long time to figure out what time of day I wrote best. What, what if I needed to be in a crowded room or a, like, it's the thing you can do when you're at home. If you're in a town of a thousand people, you can figure out, oh, do I write best at two in the morning? Do I, you know, try stuff out. You can experiment on yourself before you move to the city. You can, you can generate things on your own. You can make things and fail and no one will be looking. You know, you can just, just like, use that time to, you know, fail privately <laughs> instead of moving out and being like, now what do I do? Like, come out knowing what you want, who you are.
Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they have all to gain. It's never quite over, till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.